0: Hi, and welcome to the Sales Enablement Pro podcast. I am Shana Simawang. Sales enablement is a constantly evolving space, and we're here to help professionals stay up to date on the latest trends and best practices so they can be more effective in their jobs. In this episode, we're sitting down with Marcella Paneros again, the Senior Director of Sales Enablement at New Relic. Marcella has over 20 years of experience designing and implementing learning programs in organizations across the globe and in many different sectors from corporate to academia. Let's go ahead and jump right in Marcella, I'd love to hear from you. How do you guys delineate between what a lot of companies consider the traditional onboarding process? And where does that either dovetail or coincide nicely with traditional training components?
1: Right. So I, I look at it from the perspective, of, and I don't know, you're probably familiar with the five moments of need, that framework.
0: No, I'm not. If not, I encourage
1: you to look it up. Okay. So it's... Um, Conrad Gottfriedson and I want to remember, I want to say it's Bob Mosher, are the ones who created this framework. Okay. And essentially, it's there's five moments of need in any sort of learning journey. The first, it's, one is when you're learning for the first time. So when you are being onboarded, you're, this is your first exposure to something. And the level of information you need, the type of channels that you're going to be most uh, receptive to are very specific for that process, right? It also varies, like, if you have folks that are from a very prescriptive culture, right? They are accustomed to having very prescriptive direction. This is how you need to do the job, and I'm going to give you these five steps, and I need you to follow these five steps. From a cultural perspective, that's what they're expecting from you, and if you don't give that to them, they're going to be very upset and disappointed. Then you have groups in other regions where they want to have full autonomy to decide what they want to pull and push, so you need to, you know, keep that in mind, but that sort of first-time exposure to something is the first moment of need. The other, the next one is when you're wanting to go deeper into something. So you've already been exposed to it. It's like that 201 level Mm -hmm. where you're wanting to practice your skills or you're wanting to build your your knowledge. And that is much more of that sort of crowdsourced. you, You provide that pull content that they can just go in, do a search for, and dig into deeper. But it's up to you to make sure that your catalog covers what those needs are and that that catalog aligns to the strategic priorities of the business, right? So what is it that you're offering them? Then, so you've got first moment of need, you've got diving deeper, the next one is when you're needing to apply something, right? So the information that you need is more like job aids, it's more like performance assistance. When you're needing to apply something, it has to be very quick, very convenient, very fast. Um, it's when folks are going into uh, into YouTube to watch that two minute video on how to change you know, their tire, right? That's That is that application level. And the fourth one is when you're troubleshooting. So if something has happened that is not at all covered, so what do you do when you're fixing a problem? And that troubleshooting, again, it's a different channel, it's a different format. That's where you wanna have um, that face-to-face component or you wanna have actually somebody there to help brainstorm with you because no one is ever gonna be able to plan for all of the different possibilities. So you wanna be able to have that conversation. And then the last moment of need is when something is gonna change. So I think I, I, I remember hearing, I want to say it was Bob Mosher, but I remember hearing sort of an explanation of this framework the very first time, and the description was, imagine that you are, you know, driving to work, and you always take the exact same route, and then one day, you know, you're taking somebody to work with you, and you absolutely forget to go pick them up <laughs> because you're just on autopilot, yeah. and you're just taking your route home, right? Or like that, when something is going to change, it requires a different level of, of engagement. It requires you know, capturing people at just that right moment. So those five moments of need, basically the first one is the only one that really applies to onboarding. Everything else applies to on the job. Everything else is training. Gotcha. Does that make sense?
0: Yep, absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Um, deviating a little bit away from that question, um, but focusing more on the onboarding component, how do you guys go about measuring the business impact that onboarding is having within New Relic? it's everything (laughs) so um,
1: getting into metrics is pretty much it that's that's my top priority Um, but to say that it's it's a very hard thing to do and it's a hard nut to crack it would be an understatement at the end of the day we're trying to figure out what are the direct metrics versus the influence metrics that we're going to monitor right and in past lives, I've seen many, many, many organizations just focus purely on the direct metrics because that's the only thing they feel they can control in the sales enablement function. So how many learners attended? How many sellers were certified? Like those are the direct metrics that you can get from your LMS, that you can get from, you know, sign-up sheets, etc. But the truth is that where the function is evolving is looking at the influence metrics. So it's tracking through your CRM, like what is the average deal size? What was the time to first deal? How many products were sold? What is your pipeline X forecast accuracy? All of those things, understanding that enablement will influence those numbers and is not the sole contributor to those numbers changing, right? And it's really a catch 22 because in the enablement function, on one side of the house, you feel you're disempowered to really move that metric exclusively. But on the other side of the house, if that metric doesn't move, you're the one to blame. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know? <laughs> so it's like you're, you're kind of caught in the crossfire, which is why direct metrics are good, but you do absolutely have to shift your focus to what are those influence metrics. And you need to identify what are the variables that really matter to the business because there's hundreds of metrics you could look at, hundreds of metrics, which are the, the most important to start with and that's where you wanna spend your time.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I wanna go back to something um, that you said around um, frontline managers um, and really Mm -hmm. leveraging them as basically a way to make sure that you are able to get um, enablement efforts out there further and faster and Mm -hmm. directly in front of reps. Um, What have been some efforts that you have implemented that have been most impactful in enabling your frontline uh, managers?
1: So it's interesting because, again, that's a program that's being currently being evolved. Yes. I have somebody on my team that's exclusively focused to that. Um, and the reality is that most managers see enablement as one more thing on their to-do list. They don't see it as their job, <laughs> as, like, that direct piece of what their job is. And it was funny because I the other day we were doing an interview of a focus group, and one of the managers said something I thought was spot on. He said – He knows when someone is ready to be a manager because they are more concerned with making other people on their team successful versus making themselves successful. And that sort of coaching and mentorship view is a really good indicator of somebody that's gonna be successful. So you have, on on our end what we've done is we've got direct coaching. We have um, sort of focusing on what the strategies are to make them more efficient so that they can find time (laughs) to do some of this mentorship and to do some of this work. It's been critical to be very sensitive and very aware of the seasonality of their time. So what weeks are completely off limits? What months are completely off limits? Like what, when are you more, more likely to get their attention? We have a monthly sort of webcast. And in that webcast, we provide critical call to action for managers. But you know, we're becoming more and more judicious of really editing back the content and figuring out like if there isn't an aha moment within those first two minutes, we've lost them. So what is that aha moment? What is that most critical nugget that they're gonna get and be like, oh, okay, this is gonna make my life better. This is gonna make my team more effective. This is gonna be easier. And also because it's sales, you can never understate uh, comp- competition and like just highlighting this group is doing a great job how are you? (laughs) Right? Like (laughs) let them benchmark themselves against others. And there's, you know, a little bit of of more of a drive, but I'm seeing for our upcoming, uh, sort of as the program is continuing to evolve, I'm going to, I expect to see more of a trend towards topics and sessions and modules and titles that are directly aligned to our strategy so that they see very clearly, wow, if I missed this, then I'm going to miss all of these other things, and I'm going to be at a loss for all of these other conversations that are happening
0: that I want to be a part of. Yeah, no, that that's awesome, and it sounds like you guys um, are very selective about how you move into frontline kind of management. I know within a lot of other organizations, it's definitely a challenge because, uh, unfortunately, um, what they what a lot of organizations tend to do is take the the top performing reps and move yep. them into manager roles, even though they're mm-hmm. not necessarily um, the person that is is um uh quite yet at that place in in their career where they're looking um, to to help elevate the rest of their team members and so um I've seen I've seen that happen in in the real world for sure um definitely mm-hmm. within organizations I've been at um, where it's been very difficult for for sales managers to understand how to manage and so oh yeah I, yeah, I've definitely seen the impact of enabling them
1: yeah for sure I mean there's the, it's a super rep yeah. right. And, and but you will, it's crazy because you'll even have managers, especially it's sales. You even have managers that their nature may be to go ahead and coach and build their team and identify, like benchmark them against themselves and all that good stuff. But when it comes right down to it, where are they going to spend most of their time? Odds are they're going to want to spend most of their time on their top performer in their team mm-hmm. and making sure that they are closing those big whale deals and that they're taking it across the line. So what I'm driving as sort of like a message is enabling the middle, right? Yep. So you've got your top performers. You have the folks that are struggling to make it. Either managers are going to be covering all of their energy on the top performers, and typically enablement likes to spend their time on the folks that are struggling to make it. I say focus on the middle. Make the middle top performers, and those the ones that are struggling to make it, they it's harder to get from a 1 to a 10, <laughs> So you're going to get more ROI from getting the folks from a 6 to a 10 or a 7 to a 10.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, I'd love if you could, if you don't mind even going a click down there, because that's that's also another conversation we've been having around here a lot, is focusing on the middle pack and taking the mm-hmm. best practices that the top performers are doing and applying them to that middle pack. What are some of the things that you have done um, to help kind of enable or empower or improve that, that kind of middle range rep um, to get them to excel or improve? What are some things that you've done to be successful in so, that front? There's a couple of things that come
1: to mind. On one side, it's sharing the best practices, so making sure that that community of practice exists. Uh, We have some really active communities of practice through our Slack channels, and folks can select to join, but they're very dynamic, and there's a lot of resources that are regularly shared and a lot of conversations that are happening. What I love about those is that um, it's not driven by what we think is important, sales excellence is driven by what is actually important <laughs> in the field so they will share articles that they've seen and they'll show resources that that worked for them they'll post questions and like hit these big obstacles and blockers that then we can look at and be like oh product really should need to take a look at this right yeah. so it's it's a great uh, way to get that conversation and keep the momentum of the conversation going another piece is within the activate program which is our onboarding program there is a we have designed a um sort of mentorship loop, so, and I don't know if, if, I, if I've explained this in the past, probably, but, so basically you've got three tiers, you've got an advisor, you have a, you have a buddy, you have an advisor, and you have a mentor. A buddy is somebody that's going to tell you uh, how to log into this calendar, the best place to get sushi, like that's your buddy, got right? You. Mm-hmm. And we, we like to say that here, if you're co-located or you're, you're in a hub, pretty much every single person is a buddy for you, right? Right. The next click up is an advisor, and that is somebody ideally that is still technically ramping, somebody that is in their zero to 12-month period at the company. And their role is going to be, think of them as like an academic tutor. So their job is to make sure that you know what you need to know about the product and about process. That's it right they're not the ones that are going to be taking you to lunch that like their job is just to like review your assignments make sure that you're ready for your scorecard assessments like that's their job and we limit that to three hours a week so it's a very focused like this is how much time you have you got to do your best and at the end of every week during the activate program managers should be doing assessments and sort of like role play assessments with their new hires Um, or just having them on cold calls and assessing how they're doing on those cold calls, the advisors are encouraged to attend those assessments because then if you have a new hire that's floundering, managers kind of, it drives accountability. Managers look back to the advisor, like what's, what's going on, right? But the cool thing there is that if new hires ask an advisor, something that the advisor does not know, the advisor ends up going out to try to find that answer. So it keeps, maintains a very up-leveled group. Mm -hmm. Like there's constantly gaps that are being filled. And then the last peer-up as a mentor and these are the top performers where typically in an organization you'll have the top performer be tapped to onboard new hires like, oh, you're the best person here, Shauna, I want you to go ahead and, you know, spend all of your time with this new hire. It's actually, it's in sales specifically, in some other, you know, industries, not so much, but in sales specifically, that is a recipe for disaster, unless you happen to have a top performer that loves to train, (laughs) right? It's a recipe for disaster, because it's going to impact the productivity of your top performer they're really not going to want to be spending their time with the new hire. The new hire will understand this and perceive it, and so they're they're going to hold back on their questions because they know that they're, quote, unquote, being a nuisance, and the entire dynamic is broken. So what we recommend instead is we have mentors. We have people schedule fireside chats with the mentors. They can shadow the mentors. They can listen to as many calls with the mentors as they want in absolute silence. (laughs) But they can observe. They can collect their questions, and then once a month they sync up with the mentors, and the mentors can answer everybody's questions in a one-hour block.
0: Oh, wow. I like right. that. Yeah.
1: So it's a, it's a very structured model that kind of divides and conquers what a new hire is going to need. So they're going to need to know how to handle Okta. They're also going to need to know how this product is different from that one and how this customer and who the buyer personas are. They're also going to need to know, okay, when the rubber hits the road and people are asking these objection questions, how do you handle that? Like they need to know all three of those. And so you have different people or different roles that address that in a very focused way, letting them continue to do their job.
0: Amazing, no, that, that is very cool. Thank you for that advice. I am curious if there's any other advice um, that you think is relevant though for, for sales enablement professionals, um, anything that's maybe trending in the market today that you think is, is worth a uh, deeper exploration? Um, I'm constantly looking for the, the um, topics to address.
1: I think there's probably two things one is that i find more and more conversations lead with tools with you know how what tool are you using and how is this tool helping you and i'm finding that less and less uh, folks are taking the time to really figure out what they need the tool for (laughs) and to really design what that tool is supposed to accomplish so that's that's one thing like leading with tools is is sort of like a a pitfall that i see lots of folks headed towards Mm -hmm. And the other one, which is an ongoing project on our end, is role profiling. So developing competency profiles so that you know, like if you're training somebody to run a seven minute mile, you know how much they're running right now, you know how much they need to run, like you you can actually coach them around that. So what are the specific behaviors? What are the specific competencies? How do you assess those? And then what development plans get built off of those competencies? And if you don't have that information, because maybe you're a one-person enablement team and make sure that somebody in your organization potentially people ops has that on like their immediate short-term radar so that you do have the possibility to eventually shift from building sort of reactive learning patches to proactive programs intervention programs things that you can actually point back to and say oh this helped so spending more time role profiling and getting those competency maps i think is critical
0: Thanks for listening. For more insights, tips, and expertise from sales enablement leaders, visit salesenablement.pro. If there's something you'd like to share or a topic you want to know more about, let us know. We'd love to hear from you.